Hello, and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 85. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. If you're listening to this on the Sunday that it drops, that means you are very relaxed and refreshed because you have had a weekend after a short work week. It was uh, Labor Day this past week. Actually, for me, it was Labor Day today. I am recording this Labor Day evening. Uh, It was a lovely weekend. Hopefully you all had a lovely weekend, too. Even if you had to work, hopefully you found some way to enjoy your weekend. And beyond that, to just enjoy your life. Because, really, you're kind of stuck with it. You might as well enjoy it. So what's new in the world, guys? We got a little bit of feedback uh, this week, which I'm happy to report. Including, and this is uh, exciting and stunning... I got feedback from at Chris Shadow Owens, Chris Shad Owens, which could be as few as one person or as many as like 12. I'm not really sure. But uh, welcome aboard, Chris Shad Owens. You commented on an episode on the Podbean app. I don't get a lot of feedback through Podbean, so that was exciting. And here's the really cool part. He was commenting, and this was just within the last week, He was commenting on episode one of the podcast, which was Yar's Revenge, an awesome game, uh, which is why I chose to kick off the podcast with that episode. But that was now 85, well, how would you count that? I guess that was 84 episodes ago, since we haven't actually finished episode 85. We're doing that right now. So you are new to the podcast, I'm guessing, unless you've been listening to current episodes and then have gone back into the archives to listen to the old stuff. You're not hearing any of this right now, of course, because you are knee-deep in old uh, recordings of me talking to you. Uh, So when you finally get up to episode 85, thanks for writing in and telling me that you like the game. I hope you keep listening and uh, and comment on some more episodes. So that's very cool. I also heard from our buddy Sean. He was commenting on Joust, which was episode 83. Uh, he was picking up on the the whole issue of the instructions for the game telling you that your knights are riding flying ostriches when it, or excuse me that they're flying buzzards when in reality if you look at the screen they look an awful lot uh, an awful more a lot uh, strike all that they look a lot more like ostriches than buzzards he says uh, in his comment that he, he was not as he was writing this not near his 2600 but he could recall that the arcade joust game did make a distinction that the jouster's bird was an ostrich, the enemy's bird was a buzzard. Because, of course, that's obvious. Buzzards are, you know, the work of the devil, and ostriches are uh, angelic and virtuous. Now I'm going to get a bunch of angry letters from the ostrich, or excuse me, from the buzzard federation. So, you know, come at me, Buzzard Federation. I'm not scared of you. Um, Sean goes on to uh, also comment, uh, Fun Who Cares Fact. That's him, not me editorializing. He says that the other name that we, meaning him and Jimmy G, hi Jim, were considering for their Pie Factory podcast was Buzzard Bait. Taken from the taunt, you're getting at the beginning of the arcade game. I don't recall that. I'm sure I played Joust in the arcade as a kid. I probably talked about this in the episode. But I don't know that I played it a whole lot. I don't remember that taunt. 
I think it's awesome. I am going to start randomly screaming buzzard bait at people on the street now, which means that recording future episodes may be disrupted either because I'm dead or I have been committed somewhere. I am hopeful that if they do commit me, instead of finger painting, they will just let me play Atari games. Okay, well thanks, Sean, for those little tidbits of, you know, in your words, who cares facts. The great buzzard versus ostrich debate rages on, I guess. And that's it. Why don't we move on to this week's game? This week's game is Trick Shot from iMagic, 1982. There are a number of iMagic games. I'm not sure how many, actually. I think I might have done all of them that I own right now. Uh, already on the podcast? There might be one or two left that I have that I haven't done yet. But this is another one. And not, not that any of that really matters. Trick Shot is a, for those of you who don't know, is a pool game. Pool, uh, pool and billiards. The manual invites us to name your game. Pool, English, billiards, or trick shot combinations. Test your poise and accuracy. While nine practice shots allow you to refine your skills even further. Line up with your joystick controlled cue. Decide how powerful an impact to apply and use just the right amount of English. One or two players compete for the winner's trophy, striving all the while to perfect each shot. You know what? They should have really had a proofreader go through this instruction manual because those sentences are all pretty choppy, if you ask me. It's a one or two player game. There are practice modes for the trick shots as well. 1T is a one player trick shot. 2T is a two player trick shot. 1P is one player pool. 2P is two-player pool, 2B is two-player English billiards. Apparently there's not a one-player English billiards option. 1, 2, and 9 are trick shot practice modes. Instructions for playing each game appear in that section of this manual. So, you know, follow along in your own personal copy. Evidently for any of the games, trick shot, pool, billiards, once you hit the reset, a white dot appears next to the cue ball, which is your cue, no pun intended, I assume, in two-player games, the game indicator, 2T, 2P, etc., disappears when reset is tapped, replaced by the scoreboard for the player holding the right joystick controller. Left and right difficulty lever controls... Left... Strike that. Left and right difficulty levers control cue ball scratch options. See pool sections for instructions. Hand controls. With your joystick controller, you determine cue placement, shot impact, and the amount of English applied in each turn. For cue placement, move the joystick left or right to rotate the cue around the cue ball. There are 13 possible cue positions. Shot impact is determined uh, by pressing the red joystick button. The longer you hold the red button down, the harder the cue hits the cue ball. For light touch, press and release immediately. For maximum impact, hold the ball down for five. Hold the button down for five seconds. English. All of you who've played pool are familiar with English, of course. In addition to the cue placement, you control the angle of your shot by putting English, which is just putting a spin on the ball. To use English in the game, you position the cue, press the red button and hold it down, lean the joystick in the direction you want the cue ball to spin. Remember, English moves in relation to the table as it appears on your screen. You are not behind the cue ball as you shoot, which of course you would be in, you know, in real life. You view the table from above, determining, determine directional spin accordingly. The longer you hold the joystick, the more English you apply. For maximum English, hold in position for 7 seconds. When the cue ball strikes another ball on the table cushion, it spins in the direction you've determined. Be careful. Too much forward or reverse English on a shot rips the felt table covering. And then your mom gets really mad. Not that I would know how that works. 
a ripping sound results. No penalties results, which is totally not like in real life. Trust me. Scores appear in the blue strip at the bottom of the screen. The black ball at the center of the strip indicates which player's turn it is. At the end of a turn in a two-player game, the ball shifts to the other player's score. At the end of every game, a trophy appears in the place of the black ball. The high score wins. In all one-player games or in two-player trickshot games ending in a tie, the trophy automatically appears next to the left-hand score. The objective of trickshot is to hone your sharp shooting skills on these nine trickshot combinations. Find the exact mixture of cue placement and touch necessary to sink all the object balls in each shot. Try for a perfect score of 37. In my little uh, practice runs here for the uh, podcast, I have not really played around with the trick shot options yet. There is one player trick shot, two player trick shot, so those options are probably easier for you to figure out if you just look at it when you're playing the game. The objective of pool is to sink object balls and win. It only sounds easy. The game consists of five racks of three balls each, 15 object balls in all. The break. Game opens with the cue ball centered on the leg line. On a break shot, the cue ball cannot be moved up or down the leg line. Cue ball may be positioned around. Excuse me. Cue may be positioned around the cue ball. Player holding the left joystick breaks first. Regular play. Control impact of the shot in English on cue ball with the joystick controller. Player retains turn as long as an object ball or balls is sunk with each shot. If player fails to sink a ball or scratches, the next shot goes to the, to the opposing player. In the last ball, one rack is pocketed, another rack appears on the spot. After the first rack of the game, the cue ball remains where it came to rest at the end of the previous shot. If the cue ball occupies a space where a new rack of object balls must be spotted, the cue ball will be respotted on the lag line to the right. If a player pockets the cue ball, scratches, the turn goes to his opponent. After a scratch, the cue ball is respotted to the lag line. But I don't think, didn't seem like it was doing that when I was playing uh, for the field report. At least I don't think it did. Maybe it's different if it's one player pool. I don't know. You get one point per object ball, two point bonus for sinking the last ball in a rack, maximum score of 25. Uh, there are one and two player options for this. English Billiards. The objective has been streamlined by iMagic. iMagic has streamlined English Billiards so that you can play it without spending large sums for the right equipment. Obscure rules and penalties, too many taps with your cue, letting both feet leave the floor as you make a shot, playing out of turn, etc., etc., have been altered or ignored. Because we're Americans, dammit. We ignore what we want to ignore. In English billiards, strategy pays in points. Using only three balls, a variety of scoring opportunities are possible. Expert manipulation of your cue. English and cue impact results in an exciting battle of wits. But damn you if you let both feet leave the floor. And by the way, if you let both feet leave the floor, that pretty much means you're crawling all over the table. So what the hell is going on in this game? There are also only three balls in billiards. There are two cue balls and a red ball. Use your cue to strike the cue balls. The red ball is hit by knocking the cue balls in against it. The red ball appears on the spot on the left of the table. The striker's cue ball lies centered on the lag line at the right of the table. You cannot control cue ball positioning along the lag line. The player holding the left joystick controller begins the game. When the first player's turn ends, the second player's cue ball comes into play. Man, I hope this game is more exciting to play than it is to read about. I have a feeling it's kind of like cricket, in that it's really slow and really you know bogged down in minutia and slow-paced. 
So, sorry for all you cricket lovers. You know, I, I I'm a I like things that are English, mostly because of Doctor Who, but man, cricket's uh, one that I just can't embrace. So I have a feeling billiards is kind of like that too. Which is why for the field report, I chose to just play pool. I could read about the scoring for billiards, but I don't really want to. There are different trick shot practice modes. I think I mentioned that earlier. You can perfect your performance in one or two player trick shot by practicing individual shots. Flip the game select until the desired shot appears on your screen. So I guess basically you just scroll through the different variations with your select button until you see uh, a setup that you want to try. Uh, the number in the sequence of nine shots shows up right of center on the blue strip at the bottom of your screen. Use your left joystick controller as you complete each attempt. A score for those balls sunk flashes on the scoreboard before the shot is set up again. One point for each object ball pocketed. Two point bonus for sinking all object balls in a shot. Experiment with Q Impact and English until you master these challenging problem shots. This is interesting. A note about your screen. It is possible to leave any trick shot game in progress and come back later. If enough time has passed, 15 minutes or more, the screen automatically shifts to reduced luminescence. To restore the game screen to full luminescence, tap the joystick controller. Huh. I never, I guess I thought, I don't know what I thought. I mean, there's no way to save a, an Atari game or pause it. I guess, what is it, like the 7800? Some versions of the 7800 have a pause button. But on a 2600, if you just put the controller down and just walk away, I guess it just, yeah, I guess it just sits there. I thought it just pretty much sat there indefinitely until somebody turned it off. Uh, this makes it sound like it, the game waits for 15 minutes, which is a hell of a long time. And even then, it doesn't really turn off. It just dims, I guess. That's odd. Do any other games do this? I haven't come across this before. Huh. The manual provides a little glossary of terms. What a break is, breaking the rack, a cannon, which is a way of scoring in English billiards involving striking both other balls in play or hitting both balls and scratching the cue ball. It tells you what the cue is, what the felt is. Uh, that's just the green table covering. A hazard. Ways of scoring in English billiards. A winning hazard is a shot which sinks the opponent's cue ball or red ball. A losing hazard involves the striker sinking the cue ball off the opponent's cue ball or off the red ball. The lag line is an invisible line across the right third of the table. The object balls come up in trick shot and pool, which are any balls other than the cue ball. The rack is the triangular formation of three object balls centered on the spot at the opening of pool. Object balls are re-racked when the last of the rack is sunk. Respotted just means uh, when a red ball in English billiards is placed on the spot. Scratch. Pocketing your cue ball in a shot. In a pool, there's no penalty. Scoring possibilities result in English billiards. Well, there is kind of a penalty in pool, isn't there? I guess it's saying here, cue ball scratch options are where the cue ball is or can be placed along the leg line when reset after a scratch. That's how I always played growing up, I guess. Maybe that's not official rules. It's optional, apparently. The spot is just an invisible point on the center of the left third of the table. Racks and pool line up on one spot. The red ball in English billiards is spot on a, a bit lower. I think the pool table we had in my house as a kid, they actually, there was a little sticker on where the spot would be. The striker is the player whose turn it is. The player strikes the cue ball to make shot. So there you go. Not only did you learn how to play trick shot, you learned uh, some new vocabulary.
it's better than word of the day toilet paper around here. So, think about that next time you're listening to the podcast while you're you know, at the office. MobyGames.com called TrickShot a game, which is unfortunately hampered by the limitations of the system it was designed for. It's a nice looking game, but the inability, inability to be as precise with your shots as you'd like is sure to have led to some frustration. In contrast, VideoGameCritic.com says that as the only pool game that I know of for the Atari 2600, this is actually very entertaining. This reviewer notes that the graphics are blocky but functional. A rack has only three balls, but the physics is surprisingly realistic. Uh, notes how you can control the power of the shot and add English. You have only a limited number of angles, but you can use the English to compensate. Server modes at play. The trick shot mode keeps score, so it's good for solo play. Uh, and the pool mode is good for two-player play. Trick shot is a winner all the way. So, you know, suck it, Moby Critic. That's me interpreting video game critic. I, I don't hate you, Moby Critic. Or whatever your name was. So, yeah. No hate mail, please. So, there you go. I can see where you, you might have a different opinion about this game. It, no. I, I mean, as with any Atari game, it's not like the real thing. Space Invaders isn't like slaughtering actual space aliens. I hate to break it to you. This pool game isn't like really playing pool. For one thing, when I was playing this, I was way more sober than any game of pool I played in college. So, uh, there's that. I actually, except for those couple of reviews, I couldn't find a whole lot of internet chatter about Trickshot from iMagic. So I decided to give you some iMagic information instead. Our friend Wikipedia tells us that iMagic was a short-lived American video game developer and publisher that created games initially for the 2600 and later for other consoles, founded in 1981 by Atari and Mattel Intellivision Intel, expatriates. Its best-selling titles were Atlantis, Cosmic Arc, and Demon Attack. I think... I uh, may be wrong. I think I've done Atlantis and Cosmic Arc on the show. I do not think I've done Demon Attack yet. iMagic also released games for the Mattel Television, ColecoVision, Texas Instruments, TI-99-4A, IBM PC Jr., Commodore VIC-20, Commodore 64, and Magnavot's Odyssey. Their Odyssey ports for Demon Attack and Atlantis were the only third-party releases for that system in America. The company never recovered from the North American video game crash of 83, and was liquidated in 1986. During its height, iMagic ran a fan club for their games, the Numb Thumb Club, which published an annual newsletter. Only two issues were published before iMagic's demise in 1983. If anyone out there was a member of the Numb Thumb Club, uh, please write to me and tell me what was in the newsletter and why you were a member of the Numb Thumb Club. iMagic released 24 titles before going out of business by 86, but the exact time that it disbanded is unknown, at least unknown on Wikipedia. In 1983, the company laid off 40 of their 170 employees, but appeared at the 1984 Consumer Electronics Show with plans for four IBM PC Junior games. The rights to iMagic's most popular titles have been owned by Activision. Oh man, we love us some Activision on this show. Since the late 1980s, and they've been released on several occasions. The 24 games are Atlantis, Cosmic Arc, Demon Attack, Dracula, Dragonfire, Firefighter, Beauty and the Beast, Mitra Surgeon, Riddle of the Sphinx. Okay, there's another one I haven't done yet on the show. Uh, actually, there were several that I just named that I haven't done yet. Swords and Serpents, Star Voyager, Trick Shot, those are all from 82. Fathom, Laser Gates, Moonsweeper, No Escape, Nova Blast, Quick Step, Safecrafter, Truckin', Whitewater, Chopper Hunt, formerly Buried Bucks from Analog Software. 
tournament tennis, and win war. Unreleased games include, or consist solely of, Cuba Color, a two-player puzzle game loosely based on a combination of a Rubik's Cube and 15 Puzzle. I don't know what a 15 Puzzle is. That was completed but never officially released before our Magic's demise. Approximately 60 cartridges exist, and most are signed and numbered by the original programmer, Rob Fuller. If anyone's played those games, uh, or seen those cartridges, let me know. And if it's not self-evident, and also to fill up time in the show, I will now educate you on what a trick shot is. A trick shot is a shot played on a billiards table, most often a pool table, though snooker tables are also used, which seems unlikely or impossible, or requires significant skill. Trick shots frequently involve the balls organized in ways that are unlikely or impossible to appear in normal play, such as balls being in a straight line, or use props, such as extra cues or a triangle that would not be allowed on the table during a game. As the organized cue sports discipline, trick shot competition is known as artistic pool. Notable professional players include Lou Butera, a.k.a. Machine Gun, Eddie Charlton, Stevie Davis, sorry, Steve Davis, a.k.a. The Ginger Magician, Ralph Greenleaf, Terry Griffiths, Griffiths, Florian Kohler, a.k.a. Venom. Uh, are there any women on here? Uh, Jeanette Lee, a.k.a. The Black Widow. Not many women represented in this list of uh, notable trick shot artists. There's a dude on here named Ronald Dooley, who is apparently a.k.a. Just Like That. Really? Oh, hey, this is cool. Minnesota Fats, which is the only name of a pool player I can ever think of. His real name, evidently, was Rudolph Wanderone. Huh. I guess I know why he went by Minnesota Fats. Various trick shot competitions, sometimes with footage dating Matt years, remain among the most dominant of ESPN's pool-related programming. But is that really saying a whole lot? I mean, how much pool-related programming do they have? And the World Snooker Trick Shot Championship has enjoyed notable popularity in the UK. The British TV show Big Break, which ran from 91 to 2002, featured a round each week called Vigo's, or sorry, Virgo's Trick Shot. John Virgo would demonstrate a snooker trick shot, which the contestant would then attempt to copy. The show also aired eight trick shot specials between 95 and 99. Trick shots have appeared in many films and television, obviously, uh, including notably uh, the BBC science fiction show Red Dwarf, most pool-themed films, such as Pool Hall Junkies, with a scene involving a high-stage wager on a time shot, include difficult shots that some might classify as trick shots. Another example might be the character Vince pocketing the nine ball, quote, on the snap, when asked to, in the film version of The Color of Money, which was the Tom Cruise sequel to The Hustler, which obviously is a famous pool-related movie. All right, so I think after the break, much like Hamilton, I am not throwing away my shot. Lin-Manuel Miranda, call me. closing your eyes to a situation you do not wish to acknowledge, or you are not aware of the caliber of disaster indicated by the presence of a pool table in your community. Well, you got trouble, my friend. Right here, I say trouble right here in River City. Why, sure, I'm a billiard player. Certainly mighty proud to say I'm always mighty proud to say it. I consider that the hours I spend with a cue in my hand are golden. Golden. 
Help me cultivate horse sense and a cool head and a keen eye. Jimmer, take and try to give an ironclad leave to yourself from a three-rail billiard shot. But just as I say it takes judgment, brains, and maturity to score in a bot-line game, I say that any boo can take and shove a ball in a pocket. And I call that sloth the first big step on the road to the depths of degradation. I say first, medicinal wine from a teaspoon, then beer from a bottle. And the next thing you know, your son is playing for money in a pinchback suit. And listening to some big out-of-town Jasper, hearing him tell about horse race gambling. Not a wholesome trotting race, no, but a race where they set down right on the horse. Like to see some stuck-up jockey boy setting on Dan Patch? Make your blood boil, well, I should say. Now, friends, let me tell you what I mean. You got one, two, three, four, five, six pockets in a table. Pockets that mark the difference between a gentleman and a bum with a capital B, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. And all week long, your River City youth will be frittering away. I say, your young men will be frittering. The table, on the, I'm looking at it on the screen, I'm playing one-player pool. Looks pretty realistic. Got the, uh, the green felt table with the six pockets. Um, you only have three balls on the screen, which is a little weird. It makes me think more of billiards, which I guess is another option on the game, but this is supposed to be just straight pool. So you got the cue ball, and you got three balls, a yellow, purple, and pink one. So let's just see how this goes. Let's break. Alright, set myself up pretty well. I got one ball, the yellow one, which should be a fairly easy shot, although it's a long ways to go. That's not the one I wanted to get, but I'll take it. Alright, let's see if we can get that yellow ball. Boom. Lining up the directions actually isn't that complicated. That's a lot of green to cover. Let's see if I can make this shot. Oops. You can if you line the ball up right, after I just got done saying it wasn't complicated. I'm glad you couldn't see that. Let's try that again. Ugh. Boom. Wow, I bounced it off like every rail on the table. You can tell there's not a whole lot of audio to listen to in this game. No music. Seems to me most of the time when you play pool there would be music. Because you'd be in a noisy bar or something. But not in Atari pool. Or sorry, iMagic pool. Alright, see if we can get this purple. Or maybe it's gray. Purplish gray. Boom. Yes! Rack them up, boys. Yeah! Now, how come my cue ball didn't go back to the uh, kitchen so that I could break again? Apparently, I'm just breaking where the ball stopped from. Alright. Also, I assumed that one player pool was supposed to be one player versus the computer, but evidently, evidently that's not the case. That's me just hitting balls, basically. Oh, that was sloppy. I could have done better than that. Alright, I have one ball left to sink, and I will do that, and then I will end this field report, because listening to someone play golf is probably even slightly more boring than watching golf. So, let's see if I can bring this home. Oh. Man. That was me. Sinking the cue ball. Boom! Ten points. Alright, well that's enough of that. I gotta go pay off Minnesota Fats. Back to you in the studio. Here's the thing about Trick Shot. My pool 
related memories are broken into into two groups. As a kid, uh, throughout my whole you know childhood, teenage years, we had uh, a rec room in the basement, and we had the you know sort of cheesy uh, game room type carpet on the floor. We had a pool hall type light fixture hanging over the pool table, and we had a pool table. Um, when I was really young, we also had a bumper pool table, which I think is different than snooker or billiards, um, but it's a different kind of pool. It's a smaller table. It's got the, the red balls and the white balls, and it's got the little bumpers on it, and I don't think it has any pockets. But I don't think it's billiards or snooker. I think it's, I think it's called bumper pool. But we got rid of that at some point when I was a kid. But we had the pool table pretty much the whole time I was growing up. And we would play a lot of pool. And I would have friends over and we would shoot pool. I was never particularly good at it. But, you know, but I liked to play. It was just something that uh, that I just enjoyed doing. Uh, occasionally. Because it's, you know, I, I, was, I had video games and stuff when I was a teenager. And it wasn't like today with the cell phones and everything. But it was nice to do something sort of tactile. And that required a bit of physical skill. I wasn't an athlete necessarily, but playing pool was something that required a little physical skill. Uh, it was satisfying to, you know, break a rack and, and sink some balls and stuff. That was cool. My other pool members' uh, memories, such as they are, are, you know, smoky bars in college with my buddies, you know, for, you know, with pitchers of beer uh, and shooting pool until uh, the beer degraded your skills enough that it was time to go home. And that was fun, too, in its college sort of way. I have lobbied long and hard at my house now to get a pool table. We have a pretty good-sized basement. Uh, it's a finished basement, um, but it's laid out weird. It's kind of an L shape because there's a uh, you know laundry room, storage room that's walled off and sort of turns the finished part of the basement into an L shape. So there's not really a good place for a full-size table, unfortunately. Um, you could probably get the table down there, but you would not have enough room on the sides, you know, to, to line up your shots with a cue. So, that's probably out. We do have a miniature pool table that we got for the kids, uh, one year for Christmas. So you can kind of get, uh, you know, for what it is, you can kind of get sort of the pool experience, you know, a tiny pool experience that way. And, and that sort of satisfies my itch to play pool. Uh, and then, of course, there's Trick Shot for the Atari. I like this game enough. I don't know that I'll play it a whole lot. It's not... It's realistic-ish, I guess, if that's a word. But it's not... It's probably not realistic enough for me to play this a lot. Uh, I'll just go downstairs and play on the miniature pool table. At least there you have the, um, the full rack, as it were, the 15 balls. And you get the, the full audio, you know, audio and visual experience of the balls scattering and, and uh, you know, sinking the balls and stuff. So, Trick Shot is a fine enough game uh, for the Atari for the time that it came out and, you know, all the usual caveats. If anyone out there really loves this game for some reason, let me know, because I certainly don't hate it. Uh, I just, I don't love it either. So, uh, and that's okay. But don't feel bad for these pool balls, because they have a mission in life, much like, you know, any of us have something we're meant to do, a reason that we're here, a destiny, perhaps. So, return with us now to the pool halls and college bars of yesteryear, redolent with the acrid smell of cheap tobacco and sticky with spilled two-for-ones. You'll have to walk around the chalk outline of one Professor Harold Hill 
who never quite managed to convince us all that trouble starts with T, which rhymes with P, and further, that P does in fact stand for pool. We just kept right on playing. Once inside the pool hall, we see that one table in the corner with the uneven leg, leading to fights over who has to use it. On the table at the bottom of the grade, just outside the pocket where several other balls, powerless against gravity, have collected. There sits the number four ball, and he's waiting. Just waiting. And because watching someone just wait is super awkward for everyone, four ball decides to sing a song. I'm just a ball. Yes, I'm only a ball. And I'm sitting here in this damn pool hall. Well, it's a long, long journey to the end of the table. It's a long, long wait while they make the table stable. But I know they'll fix the leg someday. At least I hope and pray the eight ball don't fall. But today I'm still just a four ball. Pool halls? Let's think about this. Are they really still a thing? Didn't they start to die out with the Hustler and Minnesota Fats, only to wheeze into extinction with Billy Ray Cyrus and white jeans? Editorial note, as I was writing this, I don't know why Billy Ray Cyrus and white jeans. Not necessarily Billy Ray Cyrus in white jeans, just white jeans. Uh, those two images sort of pushed their way into the front of my head, but they did, and they wouldn't leave me alone. I don't know what either of those things has to do with pool, but... They wouldn't leave me alone, so I am passing them on to you. I am terribly sorry. So I say all this, and the four ball gives me a look, and then turns a deeper shade of purple. And then he says, And don't you host a podcast reveling in 30- and 40-year-old James? I say, The extinction of pool halls and my enjoyment of retro things are clearly obviously separated by denominational differences. I'm quoting Charlie Brown here, of course which is the center of my other podcast, which focuses on decades-old pop culture. So I decided to stop talking at this point, which is just as well, because the ball is singing again. I'm just a ball. Yes, I'm only a ball. And I got as far as where the nachos did fall. Well, now I'm stuck in cold cheese whiz, and I'll sit here and wait while they chalk up their cues about good shots to bait. Whether they should shoot straight and perhaps bank, how I hope and pray that they will make the right call. But today I'm still just a ball. But four ball, I say, isn't pool sort of a quaint antiquity of a past time? You know, everything's micro now. Our cell phones are small and hold the entire computer and the sum of human knowledge in your hand. Video games are all handheld a lot of the time now. You know, these huge tables and these sticks and the balls that have to travel all across these huge, like, dining room-sized tables, they're huge. That seems a little ridiculous, doesn't it? The four-ball rolls over to the edge of the table and gives me this stink eye, like a demonic bruised potato. It's not a table. It's a battlefield. A lush green pasture where only the strongest survive. The sound of the cue ball slamming into the other balls is like the sound of planets colliding, crashing, ricocheting. Balls mingling as the cues slide across the table to hit the right pocket. The crash of the balls is... Orgasmic. The four ball rolls away, spent. Ew, I say. Could you just sing some more or something? Okay. I'm just a ball. Yes, I'm only a ball. 
And if they're not careful, the eight ball will fall. Well, then I'm off to the rack. We're all waiting in a line with a lot of other balls for a drunk bro to take a shot. And if he makes that shot, I'll be a sunk ball. How I hope and pray that he will. But today I'm still just a ball. So that's it. You roll into a little hole. It seems sort of anticlimactic. The four ball rises up on haunches it really shouldn't have, because it's a ball. Not so, it screams. It's way more complicated. How? The four ball spins quietly, and after enough time has passed for even a frat boy drunk on 21st birthday shots of Jack to chalk a cue, says, Then, after the eight ball goes down, the humans rack us up again. Hey, have they made a game called four ball? If they did, you could be a star. The glistening on the ball could just be glare from the gaudy pool hall overhead lights. Or it could be tears. Whatever it was, four just says, No, no they haven't. I keep waiting for the call, but it never comes. <sighs> but how I hope and pray that they call. But today I am still just a ball. A middle-aged couple in matching biker attire toss their jackets into the back of the Ford Escape and approach the pool hall. Rack me up, they shout. As they walk away, one of the hastily tossed mock leather jackets slides out of the escape's open rear window. On the back is a graphic of a four ball, and stenciled beneath are the words, The Four Balls Forever Club. Ball is overjoyed at this. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Show notes are available at ataribytes.libsyn.com. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. And in a bold leap into 2010, Atari Bytes is now on Instagram. We'll see how this goes. You can find Atari Bytes on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or many other places. Chalk up your queue and sync a review in the corner iTunes pocket while you're out there. And then go tell all your friends to listen. Hey, you can even listen to this show while you're playing pool. How cool is that? What excuse do you have now? Also, you can support the show financially on our Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at Zazzle.com. Links to all of that in the show notes. And if you have time, please do check out my other show. It's a podcast at Charlie Brown. It's fun, I promise. Even if you're just a casual Charlie Brown fan, you'll like it, I swear. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes. Super Challenge Football. Which, as far as I can tell, is just three random words thrown together. It might as well be uh, spiffy mustard tickle spheroid ball time. If there is any mustard tickling in the episode next week, I cannot wait to get to this show. You're not going to want to miss the mustard tickling. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.